Hi, listeners. Um, this episode was recorded before the murder of George Floyd, uh, not to mention Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and the thousands of Black people who have been killed by not only white police officers, but white citizens because they are Black. Um, just wanted to put that out there. And um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's hard. Yes, this is yeah. this is a very hard time for us. But yes, we just wanted to acknowledge that this actual episode was recorded before that. Yeah, I mean, we had COVID and then kind of yes, went into then, to yes. this. So yeah, yes. it's been an intense time to say the yes. least. Yes. Um, but today we have we have the pleasure of speaking with two guests that have previously been on the podcast with us. We we absolutely adore them, love them. Just they're fantastic. Sonia Renee Taylor. Uh, her episode was titled "There Is No Normal Body," and she, that was episode forty four. And of course, uh, dietitian Anna. She, her episode was called uh, "Food, Wellness, Culture, and Chronic Illness," and that was Anna episode. Sweetie. Anna Sweeney, thank yes. you, thank you, thank mm-hmm. you. And that was episode 55, correct? Yes. 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 Okay. So yeah, please go back and listen if you haven't, uh, 44 and 55. Yeah. Absolutely. So we ended our 10-part series last week, that part, Intimacy and MS, um, which we had a fantastic time doing. But we realized that this really needs to be an ongoing conversation 10 episodes really just wasn't enough. So we decided to keep it going. So stay tuned with us as we add to the fullness of the intimacy and MS conversation. Um, And yeah, so we hope that you guys uh, enjoy listening. Yes, enjoy. Welcome to season three of the Myelin and Melanin podcast. I'm Dawn. And I'm Dana. We're just two Black women sharing our musings on life, MS, and everything in between. You can find us on the web at myelinandmelanin.com, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at myelinmelanin. And please subscribe to us on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash podcast. And if you're a fan of the podcast, please consider supporting us through our Patreon. Patrons gain exclusive access to bonus content, giveaways, myelin and melanin merchandise, and more. We'd like to shout out our music producer, Shah Severe, for our podcast music over the past three seasons. Welcome, Sonia and Anna, to the show. We are so happy to be talking with both of you. Um, Listeners, uh, Sonia joined us in season two uh, back on episode 44, and we talked about um, the body is not an apology and how there is no no normal body. And Anna had joined us earlier um, this season during uh, episode 55. With all of that said, Anna, I'm wondering if you could tell our listeners and Sonia a little bit. It would be my pleasure. Uh, I am a registered dietitian and I work with folks who are healing from eating disorders and disordered eating uh, and moving away from diet culture. And a lot of what that means is 
body reclamation um, and obviously pulling Sonia's work into um, the work that I do is a, a huge gift to me and to all the people that I work with. Um, and I also have had MS for the majority of my life. I was diagnosed with MS when I was 15 years old um, and I am very much no longer 15. <laughs> okay. But Sonia, thank you so much for being on with us. Uh, we are really excited to have you back and to talk a little bit, a little bit more about you. Your work is really important and you, you teach others that this, there is no normal body and we don't have to apologize for, for the body that we're in. And uh, yeah, so we just wanted to thank you for that. But um, before we, we really dive in, uh, I wanted to talk about back in April, we began a series on intimacy and MS. And we started with episodes focusing on self-love and self-acceptance. And then we moved on to conversations with intimate partners. And finally, we got down to the reality of sex and MS. And our conversation just with you two brings us kind of full circle and back to the basics. Yes. And we talked about what is self-love, or I'm sorry, what about self-love? And what does radical self-love look like? And so um, with all of that said, so um, as the series progressed, we had a sex, what we called it a sex therapy roundtable with members of the MS community. And in the conversation, Dawn had posed a, a really, really interesting question. So given that as people with disabilities, we teeter on the edge of asexuality, while living in a hypersexualized, or I guess maybe repressed, depending on how you view it, um, world. So how do we view ourselves as sexual beings? Which is kind of a, a provocative question. So something that I had brought up is that self-love is so very important when you're disabled and wanting to embark on a sexual relationship. We know that there are lots of complexities, um, especially when living in a disabled body. And to be honest, room for being taken, taken advantage of if self-love is missing. We know that living in a disabled body is hard, but couple that with trying to embark on new sexual relationships. That's hard. It just complicates things times a million. Um, and we know that radical self-love is so much more deeper um, than simply just saying, I love myself. Um, so I guess my question for you, Sonia, is what does radical self-love, what might that look like in a world where we're inundated with body terrorism? It's what's taught to us and what's force-fed. So what does radical self-love -lo look like um, when we're living in disabled bodies and seeking intimacy? I know that's a totally big, loaded question. <laughs> totally big. But what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts? <laughs> Boy, if ever were a setup for a failure, this one is one. <laughs> um, you know, like, so I feel like that question, just like you said, is so big and yes. so expansive and so, and it's going to be so individual, right? It's mm -hmm. going to be about our individual journeys and our individual bodies. Mm -hmm. But what I do think is true is that there is a part of it that is about knowing oneself. Mm 
and truly desiring to know one's self in the body that exists at that moment. And that oftentimes, and I think this is true for able-bodied folks and disabled folks and people in all bodies, is that there are so many ways in which we use particularly because of the structure of our societies and the way that we treat sex as both this like hypersexual thing and this shameful thing that we should repress mm-hmm. is that we use sex as a way to escape knowing ourselves, mm-hmm. to have someone else define us, define us as desirable, define us as worthy, define us as deserving of pleasure. And if, when we do that exchange, what we are giving in exchange for that is our own unique relationship with worthiness and enoughness, right? And so that that is, we are exchanging, actually, our own radical self-love for the hope that somebody else will tell us that we're good enough in these bodies. And so it feels, you know, so important that when we're when we are exploring sexuality, um, that we're exploring it first and foremost for ourselves, that that's the radical self-love is that what is this that I am exploring for me? And so oftentimes that means that it isn't necessarily yet about sexual engagement with another human. It's about how do I be in intimate, sensual, erotic, um, pleasurable relationship in my body? Do I know what, what pleasure feels like in my body at my, you know, at, at my own conjuring? Yes. Do I know what, 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 what a yes feels like inside of my body? And do I know what a no feels like? And do I trust myself to listen when that no is strong? Um, I feel like those are the places where, where radical self-love starts to show itself, or at least where we are in our journey around right. it. Um, and, but yeah, but I think that it starts with us. Like how much, how much, how deeply do I want, am I willing to know me? How deeply am I willing to know me? We, we talked about that too, just to put it in simple words, you Mm -hmm. are enough. You are period. 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 And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's very, very powerful. Yeah. But the knowing that, right. Like the, the, the do I know that enough? You know, I often, anybody who follows the body is not an apology knows the, may know the origin story, which is that it came from a conversation with a friend, a friend who didn't have MS, but she had cerebral palsy and um, had an unintended pregnancy scare. And her, her, that unintended pregnancy, pregnancy scare was a result of her not feeling enough to ask for what she needed not feeling good enough, not feeling worthy enough, feeling like, oh, my body's already complicated, so let me not add more complications. Like all of these ways in which she was offering herself as not enough, you know? And and that place causes us to compromise so much, so much internally, so much spiritually, and so much materially, you know? And so really starting from the, you know, am I, am I enough to, to say, no, am I enough to say yes when I will, am a yes? Am I enough to say, please stop that and do this? Am I enough to say, I don't want to do any of this? You know, like those are the places where we get to lead into that inquiry. 
Yeah. That that made me think of, and this is a total side note. I, I'm not sure if you all have seen this movie, or it's a documentary on Netflix, and it's called Crip Camp. So um, good. It's so no, so good. Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna watch it tonight. <laughs> so you're familiar, yeah. okay? And uh, I was watching it one night, and I called Dana. I was like, "You have to turn this on. It's so good." But what you just said about a friend of yours who has cerebral palsy, there was a woman on there, she was being interviewed and I'm totally quoting her wrong, but I think she had contracted an STD and she said she was so excited because she realized, hey, this does work and hey, I really am a badass. And I mean, she made a joke about it, but it, she said like having this, this illness or whatever she contracted had made her feel like a woman and that's what I got from what she was expressing and um Mm -hmm. and it just I think had her recognize that yeah she she is enough and who I am in this body I'm good I I'm Mm -hmm. still I'm beautiful I'm I'm all of that it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks of me or or says that I am just what I am and I am enough I love Mm -hmm. that so yeah I suggest that movie to anybody. It's really good. <laughs> uh, but with that being said, I wanted to move over to Anna. And Anna, you take it one step further in a meme that you recently posted. Uh, and you said in this meme, or it says in the meme, that the body is not a destination. Can you mm. talk a little bit about that? And how can we relate that to the idea of intimacy and sexuality and the body not being an apology. Right. And right. living in a body that's not the, quote, norm. Right. Um, so this is an example of a post that I shared um, speaking very specifically about life in my disabled body. And I'm always very thoughtful about um, speaking about my experience of disability mm-hmm. because everyone's experience is different. Um, but I listed, I don't know how many things that are Um, very, very different from what they were like when I um, was in an able body. Um, I certainly didn't mention anything about sex in that post Mm. because um, I suppose I could have because I'm a grown person, Um, (laughs) but I chose not to. Uh, And one thing that I'm very grateful for is the community that has um, followed me on social media has been very generous about learning about disability as I have learned about disability because being a person with a progressive and acquired disability means that I came into this as a novice and every day I'm still learning every day things are shifting and um, I'm, I'm grateful for having the opportunity to share what I'm learning as I'm kind of going along um, and I'm grateful for having a community of people who are eager to learn and hear and kind of be a part of the process. But I think what I spoke about, and to be honest with you, I have not read that um, meme or that post lately, but I think that the, like the moral of the story was, and, and certainly is now, although everything about my physical body is, or not everything, but lots about my physical body have, has changed. Um, I am still who I am, and I'm very, very fortunate to have a career that allows me to sit in a chair for most of the day and still um, 
be connected to the clients that I work with. And equally, um, I, I, I think having kind of a moment of reckoning and to be quite frank, I will have these, as long as I live, there will be moments where I'm like, shit, this is a new thing. Right. Um, and I, I grieve and I move along and then I grieve a little bit more and then I move along. Um, and when I think about this in terms of um, being in a disabled body as a, like a, an adult woman who has um, like an active sex life as a disabled person, I would be fibbing to suggest that it is um, the same as it was when I was not disabled because that's not, that's not genuine. Um, and like everything else, I am doing the very best that I can um, take all of the, kind of take all the new experiences as they come and to really respect myself um, in ways that I actually didn't know that I um, really wasn't before I became disabled. And I don't know if that makes sense, but um, it, 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 this is just, this is, this is a journey for sure. Definitely. Definitely. And I think, you know, as I'm thinking about all of this, like one of the things that I really love about the body is not an apology is that radical self-love and just like you were talking about Anna this idea of grief um grief is an ongoing process just like radical self-love is a process it's not a destination and I think a lot of this as I'm listening to all of you is really about uh kind of starts with making peace with your body um you talk about that a lot um Sonia and that's so hard and it's like you know, where is the, like, how do we even begin to do that? You know, yeah. it's, it's complicated. It is complicated. Um, for me, the, for me, the key part about making peace with my body is really getting to the core of where did my, um, where did my dis-ease you know, in the, in the sense of that internal sense of a lack of ease in my body, where did that come from? Right. What, what, what story did I believe that told me that there was a reason to be at war with my body? Right. Um, because once I'm able to locate the, the messenger of that particular story, then I can look objectively about whether or not that's really for me or for something else. Right. You know, so when I'm like, oh, right, there's a entire system that desires not to value my body right. for, for a multitude of reasons, right? Like, because it would cost them money to have to make the accommodations that mm. they would need to make to allow me access, right? Because mm-hmm. in order for them to feel valuable in their own bodies, my body must be other. Like, I can start to see that the story comes from a place of lack, right. and from a place of scarcity and a place of oppression. And so then I'm at choice about why, why would I believe them? You know, like <laughs> if somebody right. knocked on my door and told me, hey, all the things in your house belong to me. You just didn't know it. 
Right. I, I didn't believe them. Right. <laughs> right? I would right. be like, you're going to have to show me many, many, many receipts because I'm sure I bought that. Right. <laughs> and so there's an opportunity for us to really start to interrogate the story yes. and figure out where it came from. And I think that once we recognize that it didn't come from us and that someone else is totally being, you know, is profiting off of that sense of war in our bodies, where we recognize that it's not actually the, our bodies that we should be at war with. Right. right. That there's someplace else that we should direct that ire. Yes. How do we ignore these well, narratives that they, that that's out there in society? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Well, I don't think you ignore okay. it. I don't think it's about uh -huh. ignoring it. Like we live in a, we live in a world where we take in these messages all the time. Right. And so for me, the work is about how do I, learn to turn the volume down on those stories so that my radical self-love voice speaks louder so that right. my internal sense of enoughness is loud enough that when it comes up against that outside voice i actually recognize that as not my voice i can yes. hear so you will hear it the question is whether or not you believe it's yours ah, or yes. is it something outside mm. of you and once you recognize it's something outside of you, then the work is to tune in to what is inside of me telling me. Because our in, our deepest parts of ourselves are always telling us that we are enough. Right. It's the outside voice that we've started to listen to that makes us believe that isn't true. Exactly. And we, and we have to stop telling ourselves these stories, repeating <laughs> these outside narratives, because we exactly. begin to believe it. Exactly. And that's why I talk about it as something other than me. That's why I right. talk about it as an outside voice, because we hear it, but we hear it as our own voice. We think it's us. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think I'm just not enough. Or I just think that this body is a failure. Or I just think whatever it is, we believe it's us. As soon as we make the distinction that it is not our voice, that it is a voice that's been given to us, then we are at that first point of choice. Mm -hmm. I can choose to act off of this voice I'm listening to right now, or I can choose not to. And the yes. more often we practice choosing not to, the stronger our own radical self-love voice becomes. Yeah. Yes. It feels like almost when I, when I was diagnosed with MS and then started to exhibit, you know, different symptoms, vi visible symptoms, it, it seemed like I was always in comparison of others. Mm -hmm. And I, mm -hmm. I think I recently just realized I am enough and accepted that. Um, I don't, I, like you said, yeah, it's, it was in me and I knew that, yes, you are enough, Dawn, you're, this is, this is who you are and you accept that and you're fine with it. But I don't know if I believed that. And I, that disbelief led me to the constant comparison of all mm -hmm. looking yeah. and seeking. Okay. I need to be that way. Okay. I need to look like this. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that can, yeah, that comparison voice is such, it is, it is for me, it is one of the strongest indicators that I'm not operating from radical self-love mm. when, as soon as it shows up, am, how am I in relationship to someone else? As soon as that arises, I know that I'm outside of radical self-love. And for folks that need a really like stark, great example, 
to be like, ew, yeah, I don't ever want to do that again. I was listening to Donald Trump give a speech about, you know, whatever it is that he talks about when he decides to put his face on the television. <laughs> and this time it was about, <laughs> he was talking about, he was talking about, you know, fighting the coronavirus. Mm. But all of his conversation was about how much better we're doing than other people and how we have the best scientists and how yes. the entire conversation was about needing to situate his own sense of worth and value in a system of comparison. Yes. And for me, Donald Trump is, you know, like Donald Trump right now is, as far as I'm concerned, the like key representative of what a white supremacist, hetero, ableist, patriarch, Yes. system looks like right like he is the he right now is just the cover card of all of the system unveiled mm -hmm. that dynamic of needing to be better than or situating ourselves as better than or less than something else is a key component for how those systems stay in place so when yes. i find myself practicing it that's a great time for me to be like oh i'm all up in the system i'm all away from my radical self-love self how do yes. i release that. Let me just practice in this moment. I don't need to compare myself to anyone else and just yes. being in the practice. Thinking about the fact that in order for these systems to maintain themselves, there has to be a better than, less than. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, absolutely. It's necessary. And it's just so powerful really getting to the root and realizing that there's no, and not giving space to those types of thoughts. Um, yeah. yeah, wow. And I think that there is an extraordinary challenge in um, like just navigating systemic oppression. And then there is the, the comparison trap that happens when we think about our bodies as they um, shift in the context of living with a chronic illness like multiple sclerosis. Um, mm -hmm. and like, what does it mean that I was totally able-bodied when I was 15, 20, 25, and now I'm in my thirties and I'm not. Um, and I, I certainly notice that when I'm in a space of feeling, um, inclined to compare, and I, I'm really grateful to say that I really don't do this anymore because it just hurts too much and it's not mm. practical at all. Um, but I did a lot of, initially when I was becoming disabled, I, I spoke really negatively about my body. Um, I made fun of myself all the time um, in, in an effort to kind of say the things that everyone around me was thinking mm. with, you know, before they could get me. Um, right. And, and so what I, and I will actually tell you what I did to stop doing this. Um, I create is it okay if I say the SH word? Yes, yes. Okay. Talk I, I I created a shit talk jar for myself. Um <laughs> and I actually put money in a jar every single time I um I initially I did it when I was talking poorly about myself and then I did it when I had a negative thought that crossed my brain uh -huh. um, in terms of comparison and I I'm proud slash embarrassed to say that I ended up donating quite a large amount of money to a local eating disorder um, 
organization in the Boston area, but it really, really changed the way that I um, thought about myself because when I, and we think this happens for anybody, but when we are navigating chronic illness and we certainly don't live in a world that elevates disabled folk anywhere, mm-hmm. um, I don't see myself on TV ever. Um, mm-hmm. And so like really coming to terms with being in a disabled body and not wanting to, um, you know, make myself feel poorly because what I was doing was flagging myself over and over and over again, saying, if I point this stuff out, it will, it will make it feel less so. But in fact, it was just reaffirming the fact that I felt scared and I felt, you know, the feelings that I was feeling, but it changed it changed nothing. It didn't change my circumstance. It just mm-hmm. reaffirmed the feeling bad. And so yes. I, I don't, I don't know that there's a, a right way to do it, especially if the comparison is to a, a past version of ourselves, except to say like we humans are allowed to change. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that that tool, I mean, for me, one of the things that is, the most powerful in radical self-love work is developing tools for ourselves because, you know, like it's not just a function of thinking our way out of this. I talk about it being a thinking, doing, being process Mm -hmm. that we actually have to pair some actions that go with trying to shift our thinking. um, And that that over time creates a new way of being. So what you did, Anna, was you literally put an action that interrupted the thought pattern. Right. So if you just want to be on some regular old like neuroscience, you interrupted the neuro pathways that took you to let me sort of let me self shame myself before someone else does. Right. Let me internalize this before it gets right. externalized. And you literally did a practice that interrupted that particular neuro pathway and created new neuro pathways. That's what those practices do. And so whatever it is, whatever the tool is that you want to develop, doing is something that gives you opposite action is going to be incredibly powerful in shifting those thinking processes. Yeah. I love that. And Anna, you just sparked a thought because I think the images that we see since we don't see beautiful disabled women or or uh, various body shapes and types on TV or, you know, in movies, we, we will see them, sure. But it's either, like Dana said in, in a previous episode, we're fetish, fetish, fetishized, I hope I said that right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or we it. are um, seen as like the victim, we're victimized. And then we, we internalize that. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you know, I think I saw a clip of, of something the other day where this this gentleman was like giving a talk and there was a group of people in the audience and this woman came in and she was like, Oh, I am so excited to hear you talk. And so she goes in and they, they said, can we have your ticket? And she's like, yeah. So she goes and she sits next to a woman who is um, not in the quote, typical body that we see the thin, the thin body. And and she looks at the gentleman in front of her and she says, can I sit next to you? Because I can't sit next to her. And, uh, and the gentleman was like, okay, sure. I'll I'll sit next to her. And so the talk began and the gentleman at the front said, okay, look under your chairs, pull the envelope from under your seat. 
and whoever gets the envelope is or the winning ticket wins ten thousand dollars or whatever and she was so excited because she just knew she was going to win this ten thousand or whatever well the guy that she switched seats with ended up winning this ten thousand dollars and he was sitting next to the woman that she didn't want to sit next to because the woman was not pleasing to her i guess because of her weight and her size or what have you and I, I appreciated this whole clip that I saw and I thought it was a beautiful, you know, presentation. However, the woman that was being shamed got on stage, they called her on stage with this gentleman who won this $10,000. And she was like, oh, I'm so happy that you sat next to me because for so long, people have just been you know, ignoring me and treating me this way and that way. And I, I was with them until she started speaking. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was like, I'm, I was, I was enraged once the guy. Was <laughs> exactly. <so>. Right. <laughs> and I said, what kind of crap am I watching? This is horrible. And, and I instantly thought this is like the victim mentality. Like it turned her into this sad weepy woman and it's like no own your shit lady you're beautiful like come on oh you know i'm screaming at the tv like i know them <laughs> but yeah i i don't i don't appreciate that and i don't like that living in a disabled body i think that's what people tend to do and they tend to like expect mm -hmm. you to be this victim or you know people to have this pity and so then we internalize and then get away from what you said initially, Sonia, which is not knowing or not recognizing that you're enough and not living in that yeah. truth. I hope I'm yeah. And for me, what comes, what pops up in my brain around this story, I mean, there's so many interesting parts about it, but that in all of the way that the story plays out, the most normative body is the one that's rewarded, right? Like not yeah. the person who had to, not the person who had to endure prejudice and and you know like shaming. They mm -hmm. she didn't walk away with ten thousand dollars, right? right? Mm -hmm. like the, person, the person who was nice to her walked away with right. ten thousand dollars, right? Which mm. just which reinforces this narrative that like that 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 somehow that there is a like a function of like pity, right? That when I'm that when I pity when I pity the non-normative body, I will be rewarded. Exactly. Right? As opposed to the structure that continues to impede the ability of non-normative bodies to flourish in the world are the ones that should be, should be compensated for that, uh, is not the story that gets told, right. you know? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that, I, that irritated me so much. I was like, I'm never watching anything like this again. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think something, and this is getting a little off topic, but um, I think that one of, you know, when I think about making peace with, you know, I'll just think about making peace with a disabled body, especially as a person and all of us, you know, Dawn, Anna and I have MS, which is an acquired, so to speak, disease. We weren't born with disabilities. And so I think all of us, and I will, I'll speak for myself. I was a total ableist bitch when I was abled. Um, very, um, and not intentionally, but I didn't think about things like accessibility 
because I didn't need it at the time. You know, I wasn't concerned with ramps and elevators and all the things that are critical, crucial really now for my being able to live my best life. Um, and I think about the person, like the younger me and all the opportunities that I had to interrupt this uh, basically like structural terrorism. Like I had, a, I missed out on my responsibility really to interrupt that. And then now as I, here I am living in a disabled body, it's really learning to forgive myself for being such a naive, able jerk, if that makes sense. I, I feel very, very similarly to you. Um, I think, I mean, in so many ways, the lessons that I have learned as a disabled yes. woman are, I mean, it's really unspeakable. Um, and it's kind of one of those things, like once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yes. I'm very, I'm very grateful to see what I do now. And there's certainly no way to go back and be a better human right. than I was. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I hope that the world is looking to make the world um, more equitable for everyone I, I mean that's that's the goal um and i am i am grateful for the lessons that i have learned um and i'm i'm grateful for a bit of a platform to teach some people things that that i really i didn't know like i i didn't i remember going to a conference in 2017 and experiencing being invisible for the first time i, I rented a scooter at this um, massive hotel and people knew to look for me in a scooter and the the downcast eyes that came every time I rode back rode beside someone it was it was really really incredible um, and so I went on a podcast basically thereafter to talk all about it um, but but there was never a way I mean you don't know what you don't know until you do um, and I I, there are really wonderful disability advocates doing really powerful work, and um, I wish they had um, louder microphones and a more um, a, a higher podium. Yes. Yeah, this is a great conversation. We yes. thank both of you for for joining us and and sharing your thoughts and your opinions and you know your personal stories. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for thanks for inviting me. Yes, this is something I think that, especially as it relates to, and we kind of got off all the intimacy talk, but even just really talking about disabled bodies, it's not something that is normalized. It's not something that we talk about. So yes, I just thank both of you for allowing us to have this conversation. This is good. I feel full. So thank you. Absolutely. And uh, can we ask how can people find you, Sonia, on the web? Um, absolutely. Uh, you can check out the work of The Body Is Not An Apology at thebodyisnotanapology.com on Instagram and Facebook. Also, our pages are The Body Is Not An Apology. And you can check out more of my work at sonyarenetaylor.com or hit me up on Instagram at sonyarenetaylor. Thank you.
What about you, Anna? So I am at Dietitian Anna on Instagram. Um, and as I was just telling someone, I don't curate my social media. Like I don't have a, a long queue of already planned things. Um, so I am most available on on Instagram. I I have a Facebook page, um, but Instagram is the best the best place to find me. Um, and you can also get me online at um, Whole Life Nutrition. Um, no, pardon me. Yeah, no, wholelifenutrition.com. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you. And please, both of you, stay safe. And um, yes, be well. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Myelin and Melanin podcast. You can always find us on the web at myelinandmelanin.com, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at myelinmelanin. You can always subscribe to us on YouTube. And don't forget to leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.